Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, a part of the amazing FBA family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader, co-hosted by myself, Michael Vizi, and Jason Miles, top 1% Shopify store owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving e-commerce business, look for The E-Commerce Leader on your favorite podcast app and subscribe today. Ladles and jelly spoons, boys and girls, welcome back to the 10K Collective Podcast, the place to be for six, seven and eight figure Amazon sellers, particularly those who are ambitious to scale their business and even potentially sell it. Today, we're talking to a really cool guest of the podcast. Hi, Mug, who is coming to us from America. He is the CEO and co-founder of Eva and is a former vice president of Oracle. So he's a real specialist in enterprise software, been in that world for 20 years. Eva.guru is um, a fairly new platform, very exciting. It's um, AI-based platform with the aim of increasing profits for Amazon sellers by helping them with restocking, repricing, reimbursement, getting money back from Amazon, always a great thing, and not least getting accurate profit numbers. So hi, first of all, warm welcome to the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Hey, thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. And where are you coming to us from? You've got a very handsome background there. Is that a completely sort of fake picture? Does it relate to where you live? Oh, that's a great question. So this is the Stanford University. And that's where like uh, two years back where we started EVA software. And it's also very close to where I live and where the uh, EVA is based. That's uh, Palo Alto, California. Excellent. So the good old, just near around the corner from uh, Silicon Valley kind of tech the home of tech, I guess, the birthplace of tech, really. So an excellent place to be based, a very prestigious address. Now, um, there's various things that we've got to discuss today, but let's get the biggest reason why Eva exists. So you were saying to me before the show that, you know, you've got a pitch that you were showing to investors. And the main thing you were saying to them is that Amazon handles FBA very, very well. It does a lot of advertising. There's a ton of agencies out there who do Amazon advertising, which is, by the way, a, a black art. It's not easy to get right, but it's well served. But the issue you guys have spotted is that people aren't really focused on profitable growth. They're focused on growth but at the expense of profit. So tell me a little bit more about, you know, what's behind you starting this company. Uh, thanks for the question. So, you know, it was almost like a decade ago, me, uh, my partner and I was started the Amazon business. And uh, in a couple of years, we were able to reach the seven figures and then eight figures. And, and that was more a reseller business. At the same time, we started a few uh, private labels and that was also successful. But, you know, two years ago, we looked at, you know, how we are selling the things and, and we are growing. But when we look at, like, are we really aware of what's going on with the profits, like how much profit we have, how much we are spending on Amazon and also to the suppliers? We thought, like, you know, we are a bit like, you know, blind, you know, like there is no really good tool which gives us a 360 weave of uh, the profit analytics. So that was one reason. But then also we realized, even if we know it, there are a couple of areas we need actionable insight and the actions as well. So we just looked at what Amazon is doing because Amazon already has like a couple of hundred brands and like Amazon Basics, Amazon Pharma and all that stuff. We look at like the three things that we can really increase the profits a lot. One is Amazon is using dynamic pricing, and we asked ourselves why we are not using it. Number two, 
Amazon is great in their warehouses with all the stocking and we are using FBA, but it's always a problem like when to replenish and how many units to replenish. And number three, I mean, these guys are growing really fast, taking care of FBA, but at the same time doing a lot of mistakes. And there is a possibility like to claim the money back from them. And that's like huge. So we thought, okay, reimbursement is also nice. So we get together with my partner. We are both computer engineers and we just started EVA to do it one by one, you know, all these pillars to develop it and create a profit velocity platform. Love it. Profit velocity. What a great, by the way, the word velocity and growth are often linked, but profit velocity is really the, the thing that actually gives you a, a value to your business at all if you want to sell it and B, actually from which you can if you choose to pay yourself a dividend because you don't get to pay yourself from the revenue. That's Amazon's stuff to keep a lot of the time, frankly, isn't it? So I really, really, really like an emphasis on profit. The, the more I work in this game with, with good businesses, the more I think my job is to get them to focus on profit and forget about revenue. And that's really great. And as you say, you kind of it's amazing how fast you can grow a business on Amazon, how blind you can be to the profit quite hard to work out what's going on in the thing right and and uh, yes dynamic pricing when to replenish how many units and then getting the money back off amazon fantastic all cash related things as well interesting so tell us a little tiny bit about yourself i mean we wouldn't spend long on this because i think we want to focus on you know helping amazon sellers out there who want more profits tell us a bit more about your background obviously oracle is a huge name in the computer industry so what is your background there Sure. So, you know, I, I I was graduated from computer engineering and specifically artificial intelligence like 25 years back. And when I when I did that, the computer power was not really that much to build a, a true artificial intelligent platform. So I was working in Oracle. So I started working in, you know, a couple of software companies. First, first it was Accenture, which is a IT system integration company. From there, I moved to Siebel, a CRM company, and then to an Oracle acquired Siebel. So it was a 15 years in Oracle. Now, in the meantime, I developed my interest with Amazon. And for a decade, we built the stores, you know, with my partner. So I started thinking like, you know, there, there's all these business reasons around the profits, but also there is another thing like the tools that are built today, we, we thought like, you know, we can do much better if we are in Silicon Valley, we use the power of like, PhD guys, you know, build a solution and power it with AI because it's not only about building some tools. I mean, I see a lot of tools in the market, like a lot of tools portfolios. But what if like most of the job can be done by AI instead of virtual assistants or administrators or things like that? You know, what if the tool does all the tedious job and the owner owners just look at the the right you know output and decide if the next best action developed by Eva is right or wrong and fine tune it that's our exact reason to make this work because also both my partner and I we are a bit lazy people uh, we don't want to do all the job. Like we don't want to define a lot of rules about how to restock or how to reimburse or how to reprice. It has to be done by the software. That was the whole idea when we started as well, you know, Eva. So 
you brought up one of the buzzwords that I guess it's like it hasn't really been out of fashion for the last 20 years, has it really? Artificial intelligence. Now, the algorithm, which is all the algo, as people friendly call it, if you're selling on Amazon, is, is everyone's obsession. And I guess that's like the, the artificial intelligence system that we are most familiar with and is clearly a very sophisticated one, like Google's sort of intelligent system of matching search terms with results. So... Just, just educate me a bit because I, I know exactly mean what you mean by when you say there's a tools portfolio where you end up having to put a load of rules in and without naming names, I've used a ton of them where you sit there and you think, yeah, this isn't that much less work than doing it manually. It's kind of a speeded up version of manual. There's no more sophisticated than that. So what is the real defining feature of artificial intelligence as opposed to a rules-based system that a lot of us are used to using? Well, I mean, that's a great question because I just want to maybe a few minutes touch on the AI piece, the artificial intelligence, because I think that on the Amazon world, the word itself is heavily used. And I think that rather than development, it's more a kind of a marketing statement that everything is based on AI, AI driven, AI powered. But it's not AI. Unfortunately, 99.9% of the software, which is for the Amazon users today, because we use them a lot, and they have nothing to do with AI. Because AI means a machine learning system. So the main difference is you can define some rules, and you expect that all your system to work based on the rules that you define. Like you say, if A happens, do B, and if B happens, do C, then it will always work like that. Where in an artificial intelligence system, when there is a learning component, so the, the machine learns from the data, number one, so the more accurate data you put into the system, it will learn more. And number two is it will learn from the mistakes or needs that they need to adjust, which means that a, if you put them to the machine, A equals B, and if B happens, then do C, sometimes the machine will see that it doesn't work like that and then change the B to B uh, minus or B plus and things like that. So that's the learning component, which is the, the, the most sophisticated part, let's say, in, in the machine learning part. And we haven't seen so much of that used in the Amazon tools world. That's why we said, okay, let's make the, the real machine learning working for the Amazon users. Love it. And by the way, it's very interesting because from the system's point of view, it kind of doesn't matter because I know there's artificial, artificial intelligence, which I always love this. We're going down a bit of a rabbit hole, but I think this is relevant for people who are using Amazon tools. I think it's really important to, to nail what's going on with the software because we spend our lives using software, right? So the first thing is I've heard of artificial, artificial intelligence, where if you want to try and sell software to your BTU or like alpha users, you have some guy, it looks like they're just using a piece of software and what's happening at the other end, some guy is using it and, and giving human answers. Now, what strikes me is a system is a system. It kind of doesn't matter whether it's a person, and a virtual assistant, a person in your office, a person on the other side of the world, my guys are in the Philippines, or a software system. But what can happen with a person is if you give them a rigid SOP, standard operating procedures, so rules, if you've got a bad assistant, they will rigidly implement stupid things you've asked them to do times 100 tasks. And the same is true with software, right? So I've had assistants who will rigidly do stupid things I've asked them to do, but they don't ask me, did you really mean this? Or they don't think about the outcome that I probably want, right? 
and now that's a management question but there are other people and this is where the difference between software tools and humans up till now has been from my experience there are people who i will give a stupid task to or i'll give a task to with an intelligent outcome but i've given them stupid rules to our uh, work within and they will come back to me and say did you really mean a because when we did a last time we got x and you don't want x and I guess what you're creating is the software equivalent of an intelligent employee who will stop you doing stupid things or make things better. Is, is that a fair summary for a non-technical person? Well, I like it very much. You know, as you said, it's it, it, it's like a it's like an assistant which is smart, but which like but who doesn't know yet like how the best uh, outcome can happen, and it needs your expertise. And the more your, you share your expertise with an EVA type of a tool, it will always do better. will be better pricing, better restocking, or better reimbursement. But it will always be better by the data and by the expertise. Great. Okay. So I suppose what you're saying is in simple terms, if you put this thing to work on a, in a situation where it gets a lot of data quickly, it will learn quickly. So if, if you've got, a, a plat- if you've got a, an Amazon account with 2,000, I've got a, a client that has 2,500 SKUs, 2,500 product lines. Sounds like a nightmare to organize. But I guess for Ava, that's great because it's got 2,500 SKUs from which to, to draw patterns and, and learnings. So is that right? So the more data, the better? The more data, the more accurate data, it's better. But here is the thing. Eva has already 10 million products. Like Eva is already learned from the 10 million and now another 2000 is coming to Eva like ever. And, and there is always something special. By the way, I'm not saying that everything has been learned. There is always something special with every Amazon seller. And then Eva will learn about that very quickly. But first thing is it's already learned about from the 10 million products and their behavior, which is already very important, like a good starting point. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I mean, th- I'm driving home because I think this is a very critical distinction because there's another person that I've had on, funnily enough, dealing with the missing piece. You mentioned the Amazon PPC. He's also got an artificial intelligence system that actually is not just rules-based. Because it's not rules-based, you have very little input you need to do. And he just says, okay, define the ACOS, the rest of it will just take care of it. And uh, it's basically, I guess, the assumed the aim is profit maximization. Now, you could tweak those two things, but those are very minimal inputs for me, as opposed to most PPC software. Famously, you, you put lots and lots of rules and then it kind of doesn't work for some products and it works OK for others. And so so I think we've got to just hammer home the fact that artificial intelligence is a different beast. It's a difference between, you know, a... I'm about to say something dumb here, like, I don't know, a, a hammer versus a electric drill with variable sort of differential gears and things. It's a more sophisticated tool, right? So let's cut down to now what, what you actually do for people. So we've talked about various things. We've got the stock management, repricing, profit analytics, reimbursement. Let's talk about the analytics side first, if we could, because I think that's probably something incredibly commonly addressed by software, right? There is a ton of software. I've interviewed, I think, personally five or six software owners for this podcast alone who deal with profit analytics. So what's your view of how we need to look at profits as sophisticated business owners with expanding businesses? Sure. So first of all, I listened or watched most of your podcasts. And I mean, I I, I learned a lot of things from you as well. So thanks for doing this. And the other thing is I use most of the software also in, in uh, which is available and they show really like what Amazon 
can show you or cannot show you and which is really great you know like i mean that's not what we do or we already do it but it's not a differentiator and perhaps we are doing it better but it doesn't matter because what matters is what we do differently so what we do differently is we visualize the action so that's what we do on our software so uh, i'll give you examples like if it is about restocking we are not only showing like this is the the number of inventory days that you need to restock but instead we tell the the customer like we show the customer and we visualize the whole balanced restocking portfolio like what they need to restock but also based on the money that they have how many inventory days they can restock and also how much money they may need if they want to restock let's say 30 inventory days so it's very much about an actionable insight rather than analytics so there is an action they give us like i it's almost like i have $10,000 and we tell okay this is the way you're going to restock the platform and you know for every single sku how many units but based on the 10,000 or if it tells me i mean i'm going to restock 30 days i'm going on vacation i need 30 days of stock on inventory and then, and then my response the eva response will be okay you need 20,000 bucks to make this work so that's kind of like the actionable insight that we are delivering same thing for repricing same thing for reimburse interesting so really i guess your it sounds like your system is there a bit like an intelligent assistant really i suppose that's why you call it eva right so it's just like your your sort of wonder secretary that comes around and you say okay eva i need to achieve this objective and this is my input so i want to maximize my sales with $10,000 of revenue with of capital to inject or i'm going on holiday for 30 days and then it will kind of analyze the situation and come out with its recommendation is that more or less how it works absolutely it will come okay. up with the recommendation and every single time it will come with the recommendations it will get better because now it's working on your data month over month it will understand like how your data really works how people buy your products how you supply them and then it will always get better amazing that's quite the promise by the way it will always get better <laughs> i guess in theory that should be true with artificial intelligence The other thing that strikes me about this and this is kind of a messy thing to discuss but I think it has to be addressed which is a business is a system of systems right and I think that's a common definition now the trouble with that is if you have profit analytics software here artificial or not and you have stock management here and then you have reimbursement here they are separate bits of information and we in the business the the brain of the the business owner or in the systems or in the people who work for the person have to put those together into a system now the trouble with using artificial intelligence is obviously that it's only going to be as good as the data it gets so what i like about the the theory of eva is that it actually combines stock management and profit analytics as well as reimbursement which affects cash flow and repricing which affects cash flow as well so In other words, stock and cash are two sides of the same coin, right? So in essence all about cash flow in my opinion. Anyway, this is reductionist, but I think it's still true for most businesses. That engine that drives it. So how does how do the different pieces inform each other there and what's the sort of process that you built in? Sure. I mean, as I always say, everything starts with the right data, but the the great thing about being in Amazon is like we are an Amazon partner and we are already getting all the data from Amazon 
And it's also publicly available because of Amazon.com and all the marketplaces. So that's a number one important thing. So we already have in our system almost like billions of data points right now about products, their behavior, the competitive behavior, the suppliers, and all that thing. So then on top of that, it comes the the data of the, the customer. And based on that, then we start, you know, developing the engine is like getting improved and providing a next best action on any of the areas that we mentioned. Either it's restock or it's the best price today, or it's what to reimburse from Amazon based on their mistakes. So that's always about creating the next best action. Another thing very important is what I believe as an Amazon seller, the Amazon seller needs to focus on the product, especially it's a private label. You need to have the best product, okay? That's like inevitable. Like without the best product, if you put the master of advertiser, it will not work. If you don't have the, the best product for the best price, if it, these things come together and if the you have the best content to present your product, what we are saying as Eva is like, do not, you know, complicate the rest of the stuff. Let us do the other stuff, you know, by using Eva. And the, it's almost like, as you said, an intelligent assistant helping you with your Amazon journey so that the seller can focus on building the best product and presenting it with the best price to the Amazon users. Yeah, I like that. It's very much, again, reminds me of a conversation I had literally yesterday with one of my mastermind members who's kind of sick of managing Amazon accounts. Some people, by the way, really like complexity. I'm a bit like that. I guess I'm a lawyer's son and and a son of a linguist. My mother was a linguist, so I kind of like complexity. He's really got a great feel for picking the right product markets and developing products that people really like and image marketing. So those are his things, which are really great, great skills, really important skills. He really hates the mental hernia of managing an account. And I said, well, you know what? That's incredibly outsourceable. There are tons of Amazon agencies. They will cost you a certain amount of money. But, you know, there's still a good argument for, for focusing on what you're good at and then getting rid of everything else. I guess this is like another version of outsourcing the management. I guess you're outsourcing the analytics management, aren't you, in a way, with, with this? I mean, is, is that a fair summary? Is it just analytics? Is it more action-based? I think it's more the actionable analytics that is outsourced to Eva on the, the kind of functions that we mentioned so that we let the Amazon seller to be really creative on on his her product, basically. So that's that's the most important thing that we can we do. Okay, so now let's dig into the individual components of the system. So the the first was sure. repricing, which I think was your first sort of thing you did. Now there's lots of repricing software out there. I believe it's kind of mostly rules based. Because I'm not in the retail arbitrage space, I've not really re- used that much. So the first question, let me just get this out of the way, is repricing really relevant in the private label space, given that we're not just competing for the buy box? And by the way, that's one of the questions I always get from the private labels, if it is relevant. And then my response to them, look, you know, you're in the Amazon business. Amazon has more than 250 private labels. And my question is, are, are these private labels, do they have static pricing? And the response is no. Like their prices are actually changing almost every 10 minutes or even less. So, so that's number one. Number two, I'm asking the question, are your costs dynamic or static? Is your advertising cost dynamic or static? Now, because these are the main two things, right, for the private labels. They spend a lot of money on advertising, which I think is really uh, overestimated most of the time. And then there is also the cost uh, on the product. And both of them 
are dynamically changing. And my question is then, why your price is static? Then we come to the point that nobody actually created the solution for the uh, private labels, or it was never a, a really kind of like the holy grail to be successful. And that's why there was all this ignorance of, of the price. And I know that, you know, I, I even mentioned just uh, a few minutes back, like focus on your product, you know, deliver the best product. But there is a very important difference between retail and e-commerce. People go to e-commerce to buy the product at the best price. Even if you look at still, why do people go to Amazon? They want to find the best price product. So if you just price it really high based on your competitors, if it is higher or much higher, there's always a premium. But there is a problem with that because on that listing, whatever advertising you do, I'm going to go and buy the, the a little bit cheaper one. You know, like that's a possibility as well. So price cannot be ignored just as a like a static component. It has to be dynamic. It has to be competitive. And it should always focus on generating or maximizing more profits for you as well. That's what I think about dynamic pricing. Interesting. Yeah. And I guess you're right that the, the costs aren't fixed. I mean, certainly ad costs are very, very dynamic. But actually, when you think about the supply side costs, I was thinking, well, it depends on your relationship with your factory. But actually, I guess there were two things in terms of the unit cost. If you order more stuff, then generally you get a lower unit cost. So you, you have different profit margin there. And that's going to vary depending on, I guess, how much stuff you can move. And that's going to vary by season. The other thing, of course, though, that's much more starkly variable at the moment is the cost of getting a container from China to the UK, for example, I've had quotes from, you know, gone up from $3,000 to $8,000 within a two-month period. I mean, they really shot up. It's pretty mad now. Certainly in Q4, it was awful. So you're quite right that actually then, in order to maintain a profit margin, we do need to be prepared to re-examine the pricing. And, and no argument with the fact that you should always be maximizing profit. That's a very good reason for doing things. So what are the factors then? I mean, okay, Ava does its magic. Um, what factors does Ava consider slash should we consider sure. when we are looking at pricing? Sure. I mean, for the, specifically for the private label pricing, the number one thing that we look at is like how the sales velocity changes. Because the sales velocity is the outcome of all the other actions that you do. You have a, a great image, you have a, a great A-plus content, and then you have a, a, all the PPC campaign and anything else. And all combined will create a sales velocity. So we are looking at what is the sales velocity today, yesterday, last week, last quarter, last year, the same time, which is also a very important parameter like for most of the private label. And based on that, we come up with the estimation of what, what it would be for tomorrow. And based on that, what's the best price that needs to go with that sales velocity? So actually, we are not trying to increase the sales velocity, but for the same sales velocity, we are maximizing the profit by putting the right price. So that's why every every day in the morning, in the afternoon, in the night, we look at what should be the best price to maximize the profit for the same sales velocity. So that's the kind of the number one thing that we do, we look at. If I continue, the second thing is the inventory. And that goes, you know, kind of a lot, you know, together with the restocking problem, because there is a, like the pricing can help with the restocking. And, you know, there is, and the only way to do it is with dynamic pricing, by the way. What I mean to say here is 
if 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 the if Eva thinks that the inventory is really going down and and you know there is a possibility of a stock out then what Eva will do is like Eva will gradually increase the prices now why this has to be dynamic because i have seen some of the sellers thinking like okay if i'm going to stock out i'm going to double the price and i'm not going to stock out well if you do that first of all amazon may because there is an amazon fair price policy amazon may suppress your buy box or even deactivate your uh, sku which happened all, uh, all the time now if it is with dynamic pricing eva already knows the limits of amazon and gradually you know the increasing that then you know as a seller what you need to do maybe every hour you need to just increase it by 5 cents and see if it works i mean basically it's not not a possibility so when we look at the way the inventory is inventory the quantities are developing and based on that avoid the stock out as much as possible so the inventory is the number two element into that then the number three elements coming into that is the all the advertising data the clicks the impressions and you know the category information as well as what's going on year on year sales in that category i mean that's like these are all the things that we also look at from a restocking perspective but you know that's also where the restocking and repricing are coming together because pricing is helping a lot to define the sales velocity Absolutely, I love that. I mean, there's, there's a few things I just want to pick out from what you're saying. We're not trying to increase the sales velocity, but for the same sales velocity, reprice to maximize profit. That's such an important mental shift for a lot of Amazon sellers because we automatically assume that the lever we need to pull to get more profit is more sales, and it's not absolutely incorrect, but it's just not as efficient as you think it would be. I've just read a, a book recommended by one of my very intelligent mastermind members, by the way, called Stark Naked Numbers, and there's a guy. It's a a CPA who specializes in trying to maximize profit for his clients in small businesses and he says there are there are basically three levers you can uh, increase sales um decrease direct costs and decrease overhead he said it, overhead doesn't affect things very much but within the sales lever he said okay two things you can do increase sales velocity or increase the price and he said increasing the price at the correct time of course when the market will bear it has a massive income compared to increasing velocity and there's this huge kind of culture that is created by Amazon they just want us to to focus on velocity and so we do we're obedient we we obey the the nudges they give us the culture they've created amongst the third party sellers but i i really think it's such a healthy thing to refocus on same sales velocity more profit because you don't then create a, a restocking nightmare for yourself which is really important the second thing is the restocking problem is the flip side of that really love that i've i've been doing that on a very very manual you know hopefully human in, semi intelligence i me i don't claim to be a genius with a with a client who was recently saying oh you know i'm going to go out of stock by x date and i said okay you don't have to if you increase your price effectively such that you will sell at a given number of units so it's the opposite to what you're saying then you should end up running out of stock roughly when the new stock hits and it actually worked out as per the plan and it worked out beautifully and he ended up raising the price on the item that was selling in Europe for $35 to like $70 not because he was trying to maximize velocity but because he was trying to manage the unit sales velocity as a stock management problem right so i love this is just this is now doing at scale what i was trying to do with like he's only got 3 skews early stage client If you got 100 skews it becomes impossible to do and that's why you need an eva to to do it for you I totally get this 
This is great stuff. Now, this brings us really to the, the stock management. No, please come in, please. Sorry, yeah. I, I just want to give you another example because while we were fixing the stuck out problem during Q4 last year, we ended up like, like we picked up like 10 of our customers that are using the, the EVA for the pricing. And we ended up fixing their stuck out problems. But then we realized another thing. At the end of Q4, all our customers made between 10 to 30% better profits. So they sold all their stuff and they didn't go stuck out as long as they can. But at the same time, they maximized their profits between 10 to 30% more in just in this three, three months. So that was like, like, like the most, most beautiful outputs, one of the things that I have seen with Eva. They were so happy, relaxed, and they had a lot of great cash and they didn't even spend money on advertising because their ACOS was like 5%. So then I realized, you know, in Q4, the best thing you can do is make sure you have the inventory and you are selling it uh, as profitable as you can rather than ACOS and advertising. That's more like Q2, Q3, you promote your stuff. In Q4, time to sell with the best profit. That's what I think. Yeah, th I like that a lot. And by the way, th this situation I was mentioning at a very, very human sort of tiny scale was a similar thing as a Q4, massive demand, way more than usual because of, of lockdown in Europe as well in, in late 2020. Very interesting stuff. And, and by the way, it's a beautiful thing when you solve two problems in one go and you get massively increased profits. 30% increase in profits is huge. I mean, that's not as subtle as not yeah. a few percent. I mean, that's just a huge increase. So this is beautiful stuff. Hey, folks, thank you so much for listening to the first part of this interview with Hi Mug from Eva.Guru. I think you'll agree that this is a man who really does know his business about the much vaunted but not so often genuinely applied artificial intelligence. After all, this is somebody who's been doing, working in the field, doing his stuff since a degree in it for a couple of decades. And also Stanford is not known for employing or, or working with dumb people. So uh, I hope you found found that as thought-provoking as I have. I think this whole stock management piece tying in with the repricing piece is a fascinating dynamic concept. And I guess that we've got to wrap our heads around the fact that really they're two sides of the same coin. So cash flow and stock flow are the underlying things, but the pricing as a dynamic response to the rest of the market is also obviously a big part of profit and cash flow. So the results speak for themselves. Um, Hi has actually shared with me offline some pretty amazing results of actual clients, which obviously for reasons of confidentiality, we couldn't share with you on the actual podcast. But there's pretty amazing results coming out of the repricing side alone, even if you don't look at the stock management side. So we will be looking at the stock management side in detail in the next part. So this is complex stuff, really. But I do think that in essence, some of the things I'm taking from today are the difference between a rules-based system and artificial intelligence and really the power of, of repricing in the private label world which up to now has been something which I thought that frankly I was a bit I thought it was a bit of a hack and a kind of kind of rather desperate thing to do in the reselling world because that's because I've never really been in retail arbitrage or online arbitrage and I've been selling private label or custom products for as long as I've sold on Amazon so since 2014 and it turns out there was more going on than I thought with the whole repricing thing. And certainly for private label, because it isn't a direct competition on the listing between different prices, it's not that race to the bottom of the buy box that, that you get in the reselling world. It's a different order of magnitude of, of the upside that you get from it.
Anyway, so definitely worth checking out Eva.Guru. They're actually cheaper than some other reprices out there that are not even half as intelligent. So definitely worth checking out. I think of all the guests I've had on that have a SaaS or software system in recent months or even recent years, this is the one that impresses me, frankly, the most. There are other very useful little sets of tools out there, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think the power under the hood of this thing is pretty amazing. It sounds like a bit of a pitch. I mean, yes, I'm an affiliate, like I am for so many other SaaS products, but frankly, I'm an affiliate for some like 80 different SaaS products at this point. And most of them are, you know, I could take or leave. I mean, they're, they're quite good. They do the job. I try and make sure we get kosher people on who know what they're talking about on the on the podcast. But there's something special about this one, in my opinion. So if you're a serious seller, particularly, I think that the money you stand to get from using an intelligent repricer for private label, as opposed to rules based, could be pretty amazing. So check it out. And in the end, the proof of the pudding's in the eating. You're going to have to try it out to really know. But it's a 30 day trial, I think. And I think you could very well see some spectacular results, even within 30 days, if you have a big set of inventory, particularly if you have you know 100 or 200 SKUs upwards. I've got several clients who've got over a thousand SKUs and that really becomes impossible to manually manage that. And, and it's going to be a miserable job for a VA. So in your situation, if that's you, I really think you should try this thing out. And it's a fairly blatant pitch. I don't normally come out and say it as strongly as this. I hope if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you get that. I just think these guys are super sharp. And they've really created something a bit special here. So I hope you'll take that for what it's worth, which is to say, I, I genuinely think this is something different. Genuine, proper artificial intelligence created by a genuine expert team in that area. So check it out and do join us, if nothing else, to talk through the whole idea of stock management in the next podcast. The more you think through the whole stock management problem and the more you think through the relationships between price and sales velocity and out of stock or in stock, then you know the better equipped you're going to be to get your head around it. And, and really, I think stock management for the serious sellers that I know is really right up there in terms of their profit drivers or profit loss uh, drivers, if so what I mean, losing money that they could have had. So worth taking very seriously and look forward to seeing you in the next instalment of this conversation. If you've enjoyed today and you want to get more of this good stuff direct to your uh, podcast inbox, then subscribe on any of the podcast players out there, Spotify, YouTube. Not a podcast player, but we're on YouTube as well. Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, you know, lots of other things, Stitcher, for example. And if you are, if you happen to be listening on Apple Podcasts, I'd love it if you could give us a quick rating out of five stars. And if you've got time to write a review, that's always very, very helpful as well. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks so much for listening to the 10K Collective Podcast, part of the family of amazing FBA podcasts. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader. The podcast is hosted by yours truly and Jason Miles, multi-million dollar Shopify owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be, it's got your name on it. For free guides and mini courses on many topics, go to www.theecommerceleader.com.